TPN, welcome back to the Pilot Network Podcast. I'm Matt, co-host of the show. Adam and, and I are back again. Adam, hello, sir. I can't wait to jump in, Matt. This is <laughs> an exciting time to be a TPNer. Uh, what a time to be alive. What a guest. I'm super excited. Oh, yeah. Today's a big show. But before we introduce our guest, uh, let's just do uh, just a bit of housekeeping. So we've got an exciting announcement that we want to make in terms of timing, not necessarily any details yet, but it's kind of a save the date as it were, right? Yeah, I would say it's a save the date. Well, it's been what, a year and a half, almost, no, two years now. Almost since, two years. Uh, almost two years since the last TPNX. In fact, I believe uh, it was right around this weekend or the last weekend when we had our TPNX, for those of you who don't know what that means because you're new to the show or you just don't listen very closely. TPNX is the pilot network experience or uh, extreme or whatever you want the X to be. Uh, it's our conference. It's what we Matt, were so excited to start when we first started building the pilot network out. And we know that it's going to be in April of 2022. Uh, we can't give you any more details on the exact weekend because we're still nailing that down, but that is coming up and the excitement is brewing. Uh, but we can talk more about that later. Let's, uh, let's get right to the point here. Uh, Matt, who are we talking to? Awesome. Don't let so, them wait. Yeah, our, our guest is patiently waiting, and uh, we're really excited to bring you to the show, Craig. Craig Fuller is the founder and CEO of Freight Waves, and also recently became the new owner and CEO of Flying Magazine. Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt, Adam, great to be here. Man, this has been such a, uh, a show that we have been looking forward to doing for some time because Flying Magazine is absolutely an iconic uh, part of aviation for both Adam and myself, and, and it's something that I think uh, we, when we had the opportunity to first meet you uh, and then find out you had recently acquired it, it was just something that, um, we, you know, it, it was almost like being in the uh, the presence of celebrity. So we're, we're honored to have you on and, and thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Well, it's a humbling introduction. So uh, as someone who has, has uh, taken over a brand that I grew up reading, flying meant a lot to me as a young pilot when... Uh, I first got into aviation at 13 years old. Uh, it is, it's an exciting run to now have the opportunity to uh, take the brand to new heights. Uh, and I know these, these aviation analogies or statements always get used, uh, unfortunately. So. Oh, no, che cheesiness is uh, perfectly acceptable on the TPM podcast. In fact, uh, it, it's one of our staples. We, we encourage it. Yep, it's encouraged. So before we get too, too deep into the topic, the obvious topic of Flying Magazine, which is is really uh, why we initially wanted to have you on the show, um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, what Freight Waves is, and and how you got involved with aviation in the first place? Yeah, so Freight Waves is the largest uh, media and data company providing uh, supply chain intelligence. So. It's the movement of cargo, and we often get called the Bloomberg of freight. And if you think of what Bloomberg does in the financial markets, uh, what they're doing to, to look at financial markets, we're doing in looking at the physical markets. And what I mean by that is cargo that's moving. So is it as it folks that are listening to this podcast 
uh, are interested in what's happening around physical cargo that moves on and belly cargo or moves in uh, chartered operations or uh, companies like FedEx, UPS, Atlas. Uh, that's part of our scope. But we also focus on the railroads and the trucking companies and the ocean container lines, as well as all of the companies that depend upon these transportation providers. So uh, FreightWaves is, is providing information, news, and intelligence about how the physical economy is performing and the challenges and risks that exist. Uh, and so one of the parts of what Freightways uh, does is we have a media business. We've got 70 full-time folks uh, that are focused on media alone. Uh, and of those, about half of them are journalists that are writing original content or developing original content about what's happening around the global supply chain. So we think about things like uh, COVID uh, starting last January, we were covering COVID in China, then in Europe, and the potential impact to the United States. Uh, things like geopolitical issues where borders get closed. When Donald Trump closed the Mexican border or threatened to close the Mexican border a couple of years back, all of a sudden, every auto manufacturer uh, was shipping freight overnight into Laredo and into South Texas. And that took warehouse prices up by 3x, things like weather events. Um, but the world's always moving and the economy is always moving and people need information. And so Freightways is that source of information if you're trying to figure out what's happening. The people that are consuming Freightways content, their livelihood depends on uh, the success of the movement of cargo uh, and understanding what these events ha uh, mean to them. And so that's how I got into media was through Freightways. And I... We're a venture-backed company, and what that usually means is that most of your time spending time raising capital and dealing with investors. Uh, but we had uh, reached a point where we didn't need to raise additional capital. And earlier this year, I got really bored because as a founder, you you effectively fire yourself from every job that you have because you're not that good at any of them. You're you're the only one that is doing a lot of them, but at some point, you're not good at any of them, and so. You end up firing yourself. And I found myself quite bored. And I decided to take up aviation again. And I got back into it. I started flying when I was 13 years old, flew for seven years, got out of it, had a couple hundred hours. And I had not flown a plane for 22 years. And earlier this year, I took it back up and started flying again. And I bought an icon. And I started reading aviation publications and media outlets like Fly Magazine and felt like there was a lot of opportunity to grow it and uh, uh, to scale it and be more digital native. So when you jumped back into aviation and you said, all right, I'm taking this leap. First of all, that's gotta be kind of odd. I've never taken seven years off of, uh, of, of really anything. And 22 years off, right? Okay. Let alone yeah. Yeah. Okay. two decades. Yeah. 22 right. years so, off, yeah. Two, yeah, two decades off. Uh, and then you, you jump back into it and you, okay, all right, I'm back on the horse again. And you go out and you, you said to yourself, look at what's out there. It's grown stale or it's not what I want, uh, to have the opportunity to change that by yourself. Is pretty amazing. What did you, what was like the, was there a key moment where you said, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm going to, I'm going to change the whole dynamic of the way that this information is presented to the average Joe pilot out there. Was there a moment in time or was it just a feeling you had or something like that? I, I subscribe to this media. So there's this very small blog that 
is a paid blog that is sent out to media executives. And so it's the head of the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN. And it's, it's you know, maybe a thousand people read it, but it's a very small group. It's pretty expensive. And the author had written this story about how magazines are the new trophy assets. And so he was using descriptions of like Bill Gates had bought into a publication and Jeff Bezos had bought the Washington Post and Steve Jobs, uh, a widow, had bought The Atlantic and Time Magazine was bought by Mark Benioff and all these sort of assets of like media is the new sort of way. And I, it just sort of struck me that media is special and they're buying these publications not because they want to make money, but because they believe in the mission. And I just happened to be getting back into aviation. And I, I thought, well, how fun would it be to own a, a publication connected to aviation? Because I've always loved aviation, even if I was out of it. And so I just, as I sort of thought about that, I said, what the hell? And reached out to the owner of uh, Flying Magazine and asked if they would if they would agree to sell the publication. And they responded that it wasn't for sale, but they'd be happy to talk about it. And that then set in a series of, of developments that a couple of months later I ended up owning it. So it was more of a, just a thought of, hey, I think there's an opportunity to do something really interesting here. And, uh, and this is sort of a trend in media to buy media businesses, not because they make money, but because you're passionate about the topic. And, that was really my interest in buying Flying Magazine. And I kind of have a follow-up on that one too, because uh, for those of you who have never been to FreightWaves.com, like I wasn't before I met Craig. In fact, I was an Atlas guy and I had never even thought of that kind of thing being out there. And uh, I, so I have a passing interest, I guess, in global supply chain logistics from the pilot perspective, I suppose. But I went to the website shortly after having my first discussion and chat with Craig and I said, Oh my good Lord, is there a lot of information here? Like way too much for my small pea-sized smooth brain to digest. But I started to just cruise around on that website and the amount of content, I, I think, I, if I remember correctly, I think you said something like 50 pieces of written content a day and then live video, like another couple of hours or something. It's like nuts. So anyways, the thing that I, I'm sitting here going, is this is this what's in store for flying magazine because i'm going that is a lot of stuff and that is super interesting to think how somebody who's done it once before could possibly do that again or are you trying to take it in a totally different direction and, and change the way that just not only the media platform looks on on uh, the internet but also out there in the in the actual physical space the magazine well, I think both answers are correct, right? So if you think about FreightWaves does about 50 articles a day, original articles, uh, and about three hours of streaming video, which can be turned into a podcast per day. We produce a lot of content. Uh, that's the direction we want to take with flying is increasing the cadence. We have rules at FreightWaves when someone comes to a website, when it comes to our website, that every hour there needs to be something fresh on the site. So I don't care if it's, overnight or whatnot. Um, but we we try to keep the content consistently fresh. So when you know that you're looking for something, you're looking for what's happening, uh, you're going to find it fresh and new. And I think the same exists for aviation is that, you know, you have to remember that, and I think everybody on this podcast recognizes this, is that 
aviation is so much and so many things to so many different people. So you have your military pilots that are focused on everything from the logistics and supply chain of military, which is really a core piece of the military is running the supply chain. It's the fighter pilots, it's the support staff, it's the AMPs, it's all of that that keeps aviation going. And we're just talking military. You have the new technology around the military. You have the military history. When you're talking about airlines, it's everything from international global airlines to your small commuters to these, uh, you know, uh, more boutique things like the tour operators in the Caribbean. And it's so aviation is this massively dynamic and uh differentiated business and what i love about these very large-scale industries is that there's always something new and interesting to captivate the reader and then you talk about the hobbyist which is really you know flying magazine has really historically been a, a ga uh, a publication and uh it's focused on the people that fly because they want to fly and and i think we're going to maintain that route we're going to maintain the fact that everything we do is produced uh, in the view of a pilot, in the perspective of a pilot. But we still can talk about business news. We still can talk about uh, new technology. We still can talk about regulations. But it also, always needs to be uh, in the view of what a pilot, the pilot would experience. So that's the direction we're taking with it. Uh, we're going to maintain that pilot first mentality and viewpoint, but continuing to expand the content that is available and one of the exciting things is that aviation is going through this massive renaissance and i know it's interesting because you talk to a lot of folks that are uh in the industry there's a large level of cynicism and healthy cynicism about the future of aviation but i look at it and say it doesn't whether or not some of these technologies will come to fruition whether we'll see the hundred dollar uh, uh supersonic aircraft actually ever get commercialized Mm -hmm. Or the urban air mobility, fly, you know, fly me across town in the flying taxi. Whether that happens in the next decade, I don't know. What I do know is that there is enough interest and money coming into the aviation industry that because of that, the level of interest, the level of people that will come into the industry, the regulatory pressure that will be on the regulators to change and modify the regulations to be more advanced and more agile, uh, that's all gonna benefit aviation at all levels. I mean, you, the amount of money coming into aviation is exponential today. And it's we've never seen the level of investment that we're seeing today. And if you think of a lot of the aviation technology development in the 20th century was could be credited to the Cold War. It was the U.S. government and world governments putting money into the space race and into defense spending that really drove aviation innovation throughout the 20th century. And that really stopped. We, we saw that end when the Cold War ended. A lot of the, the dollar dropped off and a lot of the innovation dropped off. Now we have private and venture capital coming in and creating the, a new space race between two mega billionaires or multiple billionaires. And we're seeing innovation come about with new business models and that's all the private sector. And I think in many ways that will accelerate a lot of the innovation that we haven't seen. And I think flying, we wanna to continue to focus on the GA sector and what's happening with the business models today, what's happening with the love of aviation. 
But I think we can also look at some of these technologies and say, that's all going to trickle down to everything we're doing. And that creates an enormous amount of opportunity for every part, everybody in the ecosystem. And that brings up a great point. When you talk about the global shipping and, and just looking, looking at the point in time that we are right now, we're kind of almost post pandemic, or we, we've just experienced a, uh, a black swan event that is extremely rare uh, and affects all industries, shipping is, is none the least. Uh, we'd love to get your perspective on air cargo, uh, you know, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Prime, and, and, and how that, that industry has been impacted from an aviation perspective, but also how that kind of fits in with sea freight and trucking and, and all other aspects of that. It, Obviously, there's a correlation between what you're doing in freight waves and, and tracking that industry across all those different uh, segments. But how, how has aviation kind of fit into that and, and fared through? Obviously, it did really well, I think, through the pandemic. But, you know, how has that changed the direction that those sorts of Part 121 operations are moving forward? You know, it's interesting because if you think of 2019 sort of pre-COVID because COVID for the AV, particularly the international aviation industry and even domestically, really COVID was a 20, January 2020 story. If you think of what happened to China and the disruptions, it started to play out. We started to see airlines cancel uh, air travel from China or to China uh, as early as January of 2020. It was, and then we saw what happened in Europe in February and then in the United States in March. This story was all about 2020. And I think what we saw pre-COVID was a lot of airlines sort of de-emphasize their cargo operations. And, and a lot of it had to do with just the size of aircraft, the fact that we had started to move to more narrow bodies versus the wide bodies. There was less city uh, service by these larger aircraft that tend to be cargo friendly. And what happened is cargo, you know, there's two things that really saved the airline industry in the early phases of COVID. One was government stimulus and we can't discount that and it probably would have saved all the airlines had it but the other thing that kept a lot of the airlines going was a lot of them shifted the cargo movement particularly in the international side of the, of, the, of the ledger and so i think everyone realized and we've seen the earnings of a lot of the big public uh, airlines cargo has become a much bigger part of their focus and it's no longer the back of the office i think they realized how important and vibrant a strong cargo operations made them and it for two reasons one is it gives them a little bit of hedge against consumer passenger traffic the other thing it does is i think it enables them to go in front of congress and in front of world leaders and explain a story about how important supply chains are and how important cargo movement is and you need vibrant international and domestic air travel and that they should prop, they should offer funding and financial support to the airlines and maybe even prop them up in times when the economy is really tough or these sort of cycles happen. Maybe there is a bigger reason to support a vibrant uh, aviation system that goes beyond vacationers or business travelers. And I think cargo enabled the airlines to tell that story in front of Congress. And this was a time, if you remember, when a lot of the funding was coming about in Congress. It was at a time when we couldn't get personal protective equipment. Uh, we, we were worried about ventilators and worried about 
uh, uh, masks and worried about all of these things that were taking place. And I think the airline industry did a very good job of talking about the need to have a resilient aviation industry and supply chains were for the first time in many, many years, front and center to that conversation. And so I think because of that, we, we, we now look in a post COVID world that the need for a vibrant cargo supply chain and aviation industry is very apparent. And we're seeing it right now. We're seeing it play out with semiconductors. We're seeing it play with all aspects of the supply chain is that there's never been more investment or more need for a vibrant air, uh, air freight industry. And we're seeing it. And so you, you mentioned FedEx, UPS, Amazon. Amazon is moving more packages than FedEx does. That's what's really amazing is this company who is not viewed by most people as a logistics company is one of the world's largest logistics organizations. And they have done that by investing in aircraft and in trucks and ships. And uh, they're going to be a player for many years to come. And what it's done is it's forced every other retailer to that competes against Amazon to think about their own supply chains in a very similar vein. And so uh, the, the reality is that the times and the dependency that we all have as consumers is not going to change. We're very spoiled by how fast we can get products. If you think about, I'm a kid, I grew up in, I was born in 1979, I was a kid of the 80s, and I used to watch Saturday morning cartoons when they used to come on. And this may date me a little bit to some of the audience here, but that was like the big thing of the week. Like I remember like, could not wait to Saturday morning because that three hour slot was dedicated to, to kids. It was dedicated to me. And I remember watching these commercials and they would say, wait, order a product in six to eight weeks. Like you think about that, like six to eight weeks, we're talking two months to get a product. And today we, if something takes a week that feels, even in a COVID world, that feels like a long time. And we're talking about products, toys that take six to eight weeks. And so really, I, I think about that, the airplane and the aviation industry is the backbone of e-commerce. And I think it will continue to play that role. Well, I think the most critical question to ask after that is, what was your favorite cartoon on Saturday morning? <laughs> Being the same age as me, I'll date myself and say, it's DuckTales, right? DuckTales are awesome. DuckTales yeah. are cool. Or Tailspin. I was more of a fan hey, of I, the Hanna Barbera, oh, yeah. Flintstones, and the Jetsons. And I think yeah. the best crossover movie was the Jetsons. Meet the Fl Did you guys see this one? The Jetsons yeah. meet the Flintstones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. It was like the best crossover of any show in history. So. And yeah, I was so I was obsessed with Tailspin. Too. I I always thought that that could absolutely be possible. That kind of flying, you know, <laughs> Fly, cloud sur cloud surfing or whatever kick cloud kicker, did. which isn't too far from what you do in the Icon, is it? Yeah. I mean, that, that, the Icon A5 is uh, about as close to that as you can get. As a matter of fact, it's an amazing aircraft. I'm a huge fan of the Icon. Uh, it, so. I, I had another question on. So I think it's that that topic to me is is one that's near and dear because that's how i kind of got my start in the commercial aviation world was being part of that global supply chain movement and seeing how it kind of played out and seeing what you had in the back as far as one day you're flying diapers the next day you're flying eucalyptus plants the next day you're flying one pallet of uh cookies 
and then the next day you're flying a horse charter and and so on and so forth and, and the cycle just keeps moving and nowadays uh, we're my wife and i were just talking about this the other day i said i i cannot wait for my daughters to say to me i can't believe i have to wait this long because they ordered something in the morning and it's not there by the afternoon and in the same vein as saturday morning cartoons I know it's going to happen that they're going to say, dad, there's nothing on TV. And I'm going to say it. That's when I'm going to start canceling every subscription service we have in the house. <laughs> if there's nothing on and you can't find anything, that's a your, that's a you problem, not a them problem. But I, I think, how do you see your, is you talked about the dynamic, the dynamic nature of aviation. And I think this is where some of that crossover is to me. How do you see something like Flying Magazine, which is primarily GA aviation? There, there used to be, I remember when we were kids, there's more, some more articles, you know, there's some military stuff or like industry related, but now there's so many niche down products out there where you can get any, you can get that information in, in some other magazine or El, like Elpa produces a, a, a quarterly magazine, right? maybe even monthly. That's, I mean, it's pretty robust with information industry wide. How do you see Flying Magazine now taking such a, uh, a, a giant step backwards yet forwards into okay now there's the global supply chain stuff all those little industries you talked about which to me are fascinating aside from the ga piece but if i hear an article or see an article about some cool little boutique airline that's operating out of the bahamas and flies all over the place i want to i want to read about that because who knows that might be a good retirement job for me but it'd also <laughs> be cool to go out and see that see what it's all about how do you see that crossover starting to meld together like like freight waves is done with all the different uh, global supply chain information i think you have to look at it so a lot of what the conversation that flying has is about print a lot of people think of flying magazine as the print first publication and that's fair because that's been the legacy where you know in the past an article would be written for the print publication they would not print it in digital for until after it was out in print maybe a month or two months which makes no sense in a modern digital age and so the other thing about business news is I don't think business news belongs in print because business news should be relevant and should be quick and fast cadence. So if a story happens in business, it should be reported within the hour is really the, the thesis. And so I think what you'll see is the digital experience of flying will be much more progressive and expansive in the sense that there'll be business news and military news and space news. We're already doing that. We're already up to a dozen reporters that are full-time on staff that are writing these contents. You can see the new Fly Magazine site where we have military and space. And uh, we're really trying to double down on these sort of nuanced content. We've, we've got two new business reporters that are doing nothing but reporting on the business of aviation. But that's all online. If we think about print, it's really going back to writing content that's evergreen. In other words, when you read it, it... If you read it, you don't know whether it was written a year ago or today. It's evergreen. It's something that's timeless uh, and photography and something that's beautiful. So we're going really the print. We're trying to bring the passion of somebody to remind them why they got into aviation to begin with. Like, why do you love to fly? And we all, I think most people who end up in this career, unless it was sort of thrust on them, love to fly. Now, maybe you've forgotten you love to fly because of the job. But most of us love to fly and I think, and want to be reminded of it. And so the print version of Flying Magazine is all going to be focused on the essence of flying, what it means to be a pilot. And 
So we're, we're going to be focusing on photography, long form evergreen content, and really trying to bring out the passion of aviation through the print publication. Oh, that's great. I, I know I've got a stack of probably 200 flying magazines, like the print version that I've been carrying around every time I move. And, and my wife is like, why are you keeping these magazines? I'm like, well, it's got pretty pictures, of course. But it, uh, so we've talked about that offline, but you, you actually have a vision for the print magazine in general too, right? So it, is that something that you're going to continue in that format or is that, uh, how is that going to evolve under your stewardship? Yeah, so we're upgrading the quality of the paper. We're upgrading the, the covers. We're getting rid of a lot of the wordiness on the front of the cover. So Flyin had built a publication that was built for newsstand. The goal was to sell it at newsstands. And so that's why it's very wordy uh, on the front. We're, we're, we're de-emphasizing that and basically creating a beautiful photograph, a really sexy photograph of an aircraft on the front. And not a lot of words. Let the let the picture itself say everything you, needs to be said. And then the in, sort of the interior of the publication is going to have high quality uh, print, beautiful photography. Matt, you mentioned wanting the photos, hanging them up on your wall. It's the same concept here, and really creating something that you'll be proud to put on your your coffee table. The other thing I would say is. A lot of really bad ads in these old, um, hmm. irrelevant or like, uh, like ads that just have no business, have no connection to aviation whatsoever, or even worse, are like male supplement stuff and like, like pheromones. Like, why are why are they in a flying magazine? I get it; it's a lot of dudes that are in the aviation sector, but like. It, it shouldn't be in there. This sure. needs to be the Rob report. This needs to be a high-end publication that represents the lifestyle of the pilot. And uh, that's what we're focused on. And so it's really rethinking about what print means so that people keep it and they're proud to have it and uh, display it. But I think you can tr treat digital and print as almost separate experiences, which we're trying to accomplish here. And I think that the digital is going to really make a difference for a lot of our audience as well because many many of the the, the folks on the tpn audience are uh, thinking about making the transition from the military to you know whatever their next job is and they're they're trying to research those industries and uh, ironically freight waves and and the cargo operators the cargo airlines is versus the passenger airlines is always something that people ask about and trying to make that decision of, of where they want to get hired and, and all those sorts of things. And I think having a resource like Flying Magazine and Freight Waves and, and the intersection of the two and, and how they might kind of work together is a, is a great resource for those who are trying to look at the industries. And I know for sure if you go to an interview with, with a FedEx or a UPS, uh, they're going to ask you about their industry and they're, they're going to want you to be conversant in what they do there because if they're if you're there for an interview uh, the assumption is that you're qualified so what they're really trying to do is is gauge your interest in in their business and in their culture and i think adam probably has a little bit more perspective on that than even i do yeah. but i think a little bit i can, i can tell you when uh when i interviewed at atlas 
that the one of the first questions is they ask you what does ACMI stand for. So I mean, the people are like what what does it mean? It's aircraft crew maintenance and insurance, and the whole point is you have to realize the job that you're going to interview for, no matter what it is. I mean, that we're you know going off the off a little tangent here into the world of uh, career preparation stuff. But the big thing is, is if you don't know the job that you're interviewing for, the likelihood of you getting that job is pretty slim, unless you're just some sort of super rock star, which most pilots think they are anyways. I think the the, the point I'm trying to make here is knowing your industry and knowing what you're actually going to be doing, even if it's you're, you're just sitting up in the, the cheap seats in the front and you're making airplane go up and down, knowing the backstory of what your company does is going to a help you get a job and then b once you get into the sector itself being able to parlay that into how you're going to fly what kind of operation you run what kind of stress levels that on your body night flying versus day flying versus cargo versus passenger all that kind of stuff and then when you fly for a company like atlas where it all mixes together and you have a smattering of all of it i think is really interesting and that's why craig i think it's super cool that Flying to me, it sounds like is going to be this nexus spot of of all good things meet this sweet spot in the middle of high quality, high uh, production value, uh, still with a lot of organic capability in Flying Magazine uh, that'll promote an interest across the entire pilot group, which to me gets everybody interested in all different aspects of it. And when we go into the actual world of flying, and, and you know this from being a general general aviation enthusiast. It's uh, our, our kind of overarching umbrella is safety. And if we don't have that from the day we start flying, we don't really, it's hard to keep that curated and developed. And for me, when everybody knows what everybody else is doing in the sky and what, what kind of operation they're running, knowing that a guy from FedEx who's landing at eight in the morning when you're taking off, you're thinking, oh, you know, the, the early day, no, late night, that totally different story keeps your head on a swivel and situational awareness. So I guess what I'm trying to say is kind of thank you from all of us to all of you at the Flying Media Group and Freightways for kind of doing that kind of thing. And I think that's a really unique way to start approaching these this this new media platform that you you guys have built over at Freightwaves and then at Flying. Yeah, I think one of the things that's important that has been true at Freightwaves, one of the reasons that we've been successful at Freightways and we plan on sort of as it sort of goes into flying is that the content that we write about supply chains are written from people who have worked in supply chain. It's different if somebody has never been there and is writing about these topics because they really, a journalist doesn't understand them very well, the nuances and the reasons for things. They just assume things and they sort of go with it. And a journalist can write it. A, a good journalist can take a, a very nuanced story and sort of write it, not know a whole lot about the topic. Well, what I think is different about Freightways is we actually understand the nuances because we've worked there. We've been truck drivers, we've been dispatchers, we've worked in operations, so forth. I think when you think about Flying Magazine, you mentioned the business aspects of cargo movement, of writing about topics for pilots, but writing business news, but from the perspective of what a pilot should want to know and understand it. And so why is Atlas doing certain things or why is UPS and FedEx doing certain things, but always from the perspective of a pilot? It may mean that we don't always have the perspective of what the pilot union wants uh, view is or what the airline's view is, but we do have a perspective on what a pilot should be, the important points that a pilot should 
uh, be focused on and be able to have a conversation about the business itself mm -hmm. and the challenges and opportunities that exist for that business. And I think that's important. I think we can do aviation news better than any other business publication if we stay focused for, for the aviation community, if we stay focused on the perspective of doing it through the eyes of a pilot. And we talk about that all the time. We talk about entrepreneurship through the lens of aviation. And, and it, because our audience is predominantly pilots, if not completely pilots, I think that's something that uh, is near and dear to our hearts. I, I, Craig, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the icon and, and the kind of flying that you're doing now, because I, I know you, you uh, live in a pretty gorgeous area of the country. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that machine and and kind of what your day-to-day -day hobbies uh if flying can be considered a hobby looks like yeah look it is for me i i mean my aviation credentials will not impress anybody on this call probably so uh i'm a low-time pilot i do it as a hobby uh like i said i took a 20-year hiatus got done a couple of hundred hours this year but it's all hobby flying around uh, and, and doing some training and so I bought the icon because I wanted to blend the light. The two things I love, I love boating, I love aviation. And in some ways, the icon blends both of those. It uh, enables me to obviously land in water. But I, I think one of the really sort of interesting things about the icon is that unlike flying into an, a physical airport or in, onto land, is every single time I go up, is a different experience for me because the way that the when you're you're flying over water and into the mountains you you could almost land you know as long as you're, you're doing it safely and as long as you have enough water you can almost land about anywhere and i think that's an entirely different experience the other thing is you can fly much lower than you would in, a, in an aircraft that had that it had to land on a, on a runway or, or land on land because you have effectively a runway that's always moving with you. And so as long as you have good orientation and training as it becomes a, a sea pilot, the Icon is an amazing machine. Uh, it, it is a, it performs exceptionally well. It's very agile uh, and, and creates new experiences. And one of the great things about being in East Tennessee is we have these gorgeous mountains. We have, a lot of water and rivers and lakes that you can get access to and the icon can land and take off in and it just creates an amazing experience you know i have five kids and uh one of them is 15 and the other is 11. and so spending time one-on-one -on -one is very difficult for kids that, when they're in their teenage they don't want to hang out with dad right the stuff that was cool but we can go out for two hours and have an entirely different experience every single time and I get one-on-one -on -one time with my kids. And I don't think that's, you know, I think that is irreplaceable. It's interesting when I talk to the icon folks, a lot of the marking, it's very sexy. You know, you're out in the ocean, it's over the water, blue water, you know, these really good looking dudes and really good looking women that are hanging out near the aircraft. I get the whole marketing stick. That's not me at all. I'm a 42 year old entrepreneur that like, but I get to sort of vicariously live that lifestyle, but that's not the lifestyle I'm going for. I like to think, you know, I'm in part of this icon club. More importantly for me, it's about experiencing something really exciting, my family, my kids specifically. 
and getting up there and just every single time I do it, it's a new experience. And I, I feel exceptionally safe knowing that if something does go wrong in the icon, if I'm flying relatively low, that I there's a water right there where I can land on it. And and, and so for me, it's just it's it's a totally different type of experience. And I'm completely jealous. It, it, your credentials are not unimpressive in any way. In fact, uh, you know, it's one of those things, those of us who fly as our primary profession, it, sometimes you forget that it's supposed to be fun yeah. and you're supposed to look out the window and, and experience a, an adventure. So uh, thanks for sharing with that with us. It, uh, I, I think many people listening to us today are, are very jealous of, of what you get to do day to day. So. Well, anyone who wants to come to East Tennessee and go up in the icon is just hit me up. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Freight Alley. So <laughs> if, if you're interested in coming to East Tennessee, what I will argue is one of the most gorgeous places to fly because you can go below the mountains, through the gorge, and you have the river right below you. It's amazing. So. Well, they got to they got to get in line, Craig. First, uh, Matt, <laughs> well, Matt, Matt and I are one, two in some yeah. order, and then they can get in line after that. Well, maybe TPN could do its next event uh, in Chattanooga. We'll, uh, we'll 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 do something with Icon. All we, right, we might we will definitely take you up on that. <laughs> Let, let's, as they say, let's chat offline. Yeah, <laughs> let let's take this to the bar and yeah. see see where things go. Uh, well, Craig. Uh, Thank you so much for being with us today and taking taking the time to, to chat. If members, TPN members want to be more involved, learn more about flying, flying magazine, flying media group, freight waves, or, or any of the above, uh, what, what's the best way for them to kind of reach out or, or where can they go? Well, I, the, the website flyingmag.com is the best way to, to see and consume content for flying. Uh, freightwaves.com is the best way to get Freightways content. If you want to connect with me personally, I'm happy to do it. Love to do it. Uh, I'm most easiest accessed on Twitter at, at Freight Alley is my handle. And that's the best way to reach me. So, Well, awesome. Well, it, it, I've said it before. It's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. And, and we're really excited to see such an iconic brand uh, in the aviation industry in, in such capable and, and passionate hands. So thank you so much for everything you do and, and what you're uh, what you're doing as the steward of, of this thing that means so much to a, a lot of us from our childhood and, and well into our adult years. So uh, we hope to uh, have you back on the show again soon. And, and who knows, maybe uh, TPN's next event can be up there in, in Chattanooga and uh, we can we can see some of those Tennessee Hills that you talked about. We'll get the icon folks here as well. So, oh, all right, awesome. guys, appreciate your time. Love it. Thanks, Craig. And as always, everybody, you can reach us at heyguys at thepilotnetwork.com. We look forward to hearing more from you. Keep that shiny side up in the air and the greasy side down. Yes, 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 down!